Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning in sunny Colchester. This is where Equippers Essex is based, and this is the town that I was born in, so I'm very familiar with Colchester. And this is the start of my preach, is around Colchester. Did you know that Colchester is Britain's oldest recorded town? There is great history in our town. We have an amazing castle. We have Roman ruins. We survived the Roman invasion. And we also survived an earthquake. And we also are known for Colchester oysters. There is great history in this town. But even more than that, there is great Christian history in our town. The first ever church was built in 4 AD and you can see the ruins of that by Colchester Police Station. There has been countless churches built in this town over all the decades and generations. There has been so many Christians who have followed Jesus in this town, have impacted this town and made a difference. There have been lives that have been changed through the gospel of Jesus in this town by men and women like you and I that have decided to follow him, be part of a church and make a difference. We have such great cultural history in this town. Did you know that in 1850, there was a massive snowstorm in Colchester and a young 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon decided to take shelter in the Methodist Church in Artillery Street. And he walked in those doors to get away from the snowstorm, but he listened to the gospel and he found Jesus and he became a passionate fiery Christian. His ministry is world-renowned. He went on to open a college where over 900 pastors in Charles's lifetime served and were able to go out and then build churches. 200 churches were built on the legacy of Charles Spurgeon during his lifetime. He became a Christian in our town. And even more than that, there's been so much impact by so many churches in Colchester. Um, back in the 1800s, around the time of 1880, um, people used to get their water supply from wells or from pumps in Colchester. And then the council made the decision that they would build a tower in order for the water to be pumped through this tower. It would be called the Water Tower. And the nickname of this tower is Jumbo. And today you can still see this tower as the tallest landmark in Colchester. Well, in 1990, a church that I was part of and the Roberts family were part of, Combe Valley Community Church, they purchased this water tower when it no longer was providing water for the town. We'd moved on to taps by then. They purchased this tower and they turned it into a prayer tower. And it was amazing because it was the highest point in Colchester and the church would gather and they would pray over the town. They would have worship services up there. And many people who are in this church today would willingly go and climb the 157 steps of Jumbo to go and pray for Colchester. Some people would travel from different towns within Essex to get to a 6 a.m. prayer meeting to pray for this town. But they wouldn't just be praying for things that were happening in 1990. They would be praying for the generations to come. They would be praying and declaring the name of Jesus over 
our town. And the exciting thing is that in our church today, there are many children that were prayed for that are now part of this ministry today through the prayers that went on in that prayer tower. And I love the fact that what was used as a place to water the town originally in the 1800s, in the 1900s became a place where people would pray for the town, that they would open up a well of prayer over the town of Colchester. We have great spiritual wells built in this town. We have great faith wells built in this town from all the different centuries and generations of people who follow Jesus. They have opened up spiritual wells in our town. And I want to look at some of that today. There are people that have lived lives full of faith, full of purpose, full of potential, and they've opened up wells of salvation that through the centuries have now started to flow and they've hit the generations that we are living in now. And I want to talk about wells today. So to start my story, I want to talk about Abraham in the Bible. And many of us know him as the father of our faith, the founder of our faith. Abraham was given a promise by God that he would be the father of many nations at a time when he didn't even have a child of his own. And yet the story unfolds where God gave him the promise of having a son and he had Isaac and the generations would flow through Abraham. And back in the day in Israel, Abraham had a generational mindset. He knew that he had to be about not only the time scale he lived in, but for the future generations. And he was a man that decided to start to build community and to dig physical wells. You see, the only way to get water back in those days was to literally dig a well in the ground and obtain clean running water. Once you had clean running water, you could have a community because people could be drawn to the water source. You could have animals and crops and fields. You could make a village because you had a water supply. And he knew that when he dug these wells, he wasn't just digging for the generation that he was living in, but he saw beyond the generation. He saw the generation of Isaac and Jacob that would follow after himself. And as often in the word, we refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said about digging these wells. Now, there was no pneumatic drills. There were no excavators back in those days. It was literally hard graft of digging until you hit water. And he dug the wells, and he was a man that was blessed. The Bible tells us he had great provision. God blessed him. He was a man of wealth. And then it came to the point where he would die. And what he had dug and what he had um, lived for and accomplished would pass on to his son, Isaac. And so Isaac, like his father, was again blessed. We can read this in Genesis 26, verses 12 to 15. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in that time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Isaac was blessed. In one year, he reaped a hundredfold on the crops that he had planted. That is incredible. He was blessed with wealth. He was blessed with community. 
There was a water supply, there was flow. And yet the enemy of the flow of the wells didn't like it. They didn't like the success of Isaac and the people that he was living with. And so they decided to stop up the wells. They decided to put dirt in the wells so the water wouldn't flow freely. And I don't know about you, but I love a glass of water. But even if it had half a teaspoon of mud mixed in with it, I wouldn't want to drink it because it becomes contaminated. It becomes dirty water. And so Isaac decided that he would do something about this. He decided that he would redig the wells that his father had dug. He wasn't going to put up with the enemy coming in and stopping up all the provision and the flow that Abraham had seen for the generations of Isaac and Jacob. He decided he would go about redigging these wells, opening up the clean water supply again so that his generation and his son's generation to come would not be dried out by the Philistines. They decided they wanted to break up community. They wanted to dry them out. They wanted them to thirst. They didn't want them to flourish in that land any longer. And so the dirt was stopping the place of flourishing. And so Isaac, like his father before him, set about redigging those wells. He set about the hard graft of getting to the pure water source again. Now, I can sympathize a bit with Isaac here because a few months ago in our garden, Dan and I decided to do a little bit of changing around of the layout of our garden. We had a very well-established flower bed down one side of the garden and it had trees and plants in it. And we decided that we wanted to change it to the other side of the garden where there was more sun and then we could extend our lawn area. So you know when you take on a job and you look outside and you think, oh, it'll probably be a couple of hours max. That's what we thought, brilliant, we get outside. So we got the spades out and we got ready to dig the ground. I say we, more like Dan was digging the ground, doing the hard graft and I was then getting the earth out of the place he dug. I left it to the experts. Anyway, we got into digging the ground and the ground was so hard. And the deeper we dug down, the more house bricks we found. Our house is around 19 years old, but we found six house bricks and so much hardcore, we could have probably built another house. So we kept digging and we got to the point where, you know, when you're really digging and then you have to stop and then you have to get the sweat off the brow and you give it a you get back to re-digging again. It was hard graft. And actually the point that made me absolutely crack up was when Dan was getting so in there with the spade, he dug down, he must have hit another house brick and the spade promptly snapped in half. So then we carried on our digging with garden trowels. We eventually got to the point of where we could remove all the hardcore get to the bottom of the earth and replant our plants and they've taken well and they are flourishing but there was a point in the redig where I thought are we ever gonna get this done oh is it worth the effort should we have just left the plants where they were but it was worth the effort because now it does look amazing and the garden has extended to the place that we wanted it to but it was hard graft but I want to look at redigging spiritual wells here I've spoken about some of them in Colchester you know you might be from a line of Christians and you have inherited wells that maybe your great-grandparents and your grandparents have dug or maybe you're a first generation Christian and you are the one that has opened up a well and the wells that I'm talking about are like wells of faith wells of salvation wells of obedience, wells of determination, 
wells of healing, wells of hope, wells of all sorts of things that we can talk about, these wells that have been dug, that have come down the generations that we've dug, wells of just trusting God, wells of pushing on forward, great wells that have been opened up, spiritual wells I'm looking at. And I want to look at what stopped the wells up. Maybe some dirt has got in to those wells. They were once flowing in your great-grandparents' generation, but they've come to a point now where dirt's got in, where contamination has come in, where the well of faithfulness is no longer flowing like it used to, where the well of salvation actually stopped with your parents' generation, and since then there hasn't been salvation. The enemy may have blocked the well. Situations may have blocked the well. Maybe your faith took a hit and some dirt got in. Maybe your convictions got swayed a little bit and some dirt got into the well. Maybe irrelevance has blocked the well of salvation. Maybe compromise has blocked the well of determination. Maybe disappointment has blocked the well of hope. But I want to say today, it's worth the effort to get re-digging again, to unblock, clean out the dirt and get the water flowing again in the wells. Because it's not just about your life or my life. It's about the generations that are coming behind us. It's about a town that needs to see Jesus. It's time for us to get the flowing water back, to get cleaned up and ready to move forward with all that God has for us. Remember, church, that we are containers of living water. If we look at a passage in John 7, verses 37 to 38. On the last and great day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. We have the very Spirit of God living in us. And therefore, we have rivers of living water that flow out of us and into the family that we're placed in, into the town that we are in, into this nation. We have that flow of the living water of Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning to let it flow, to address what's blocked the well, to get unblocked, cleaned up, and let it flow out. And as I prepared this, I felt there's so many wells that do need redigging. But there's three particular wells that God has placed on my heart to redig. And I'm going to share them with you. The first one is a generational well. The second one is a faith well. And the third one is a servanthood well. We've got generational well, faith well, and servanthood well. So we'll start with a generational well. So however old you are today, there is a generation that is younger than you. There is a generation that is below you that needs you to help them. We need to be a people like Abraham who had an inheritance and a generational outlook. It wasn't just about him, but it was for Isaac and Jacob and beyond. And we need to be about that, that we might have our salvation, we've got our faith, but what about those that are coming up behind us, the generation below us, not just in church, but in our families, in our work situations, in this town? Have we got a heart for this generation? Are we praying for the next generation? Are we willing to teach them the full gospel of Jesus? Are we willing to challenge them and help them? 
Are we willing to put resources into the next generation to guide them, to come alongside them? It's so important that we have a generational outlook. The world has so much to offer every generation, but what we have to offer is Jesus, which is the greatest gift anybody could ever receive. And we need to be about some business as church, as a community, about looking out for the generations below us. And if we all do that, then everyone is covered. And it's so important that we keep pointing them the way to Jesus, the way that is the truth and the life and the only way. We need to keep challenging and showing people the, ne the only way is Jesus. You know, when I speak to some parents today, you know, if you're raising a generation, if you've got young children, older children, teenagers in your home and you're raising a generation, it's so important that you are showing them Jesus. It's so important that in your home that prayer and reading the word of God becomes a priority. And particularly church. You know, even in this season now on a Sunday, something we've committed in our house is we go to church. That's what we do. And when church unlocks again and we're able to meet in the building, that is what we do. It's church. You see, has church in your home become optional or essential? Because if it becomes optional, then when children grow up, that's what they'll say. I can dip in and I can dip out. But if it's essential that this is what we do on a Sunday, we give our first to Jesus and we go to the house of the Lord and we praise his name, then that becomes essential. In Proverbs 22 verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I want to encourage you today that if you have got children, whether they're young or they're grown up and they are not in a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you with this verse, that the training that you've put in will be, stick with them. That when they are old, it will not depart from them because you have put something in them. You have shown them the way. And you need to just keep opening up that well of prayer over your children and young people. Keep giving them over to God. Keep declaring the truth over them. If they're in your home now, just keep showing the way, them the way and training them. And it will not depart from them. And I want to show you this with a testimony of a young man who was brought up in a Christian home, whose mom introduced him to Jesus. And yet he had a bit of a struggle in his life. But this was the message that he sent his mum out on social media on Mother's Day recently in America. And he sent this message out. And I want to read it to you as an encouragement. That if you train your child in the right way, you show them who Jesus is. It will not depart from them. So here's his message. Happy Mother's Day. I could talk about all the sacrifices that you made to take care of me, but the most incredible thing you could have done was share with me the love of Jesus. You introduced me to my faith. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. For a few years, out of my own pride, I thought I had it figured out, only to fall flat on my face. It was there when I remembered what you taught me. Jesus loves and forgives me. That saved my life, and now I walk with him everywhere that I go. Thank you, Mum, for giving me something eternal. Best gift I could ever receive. Sick. This was written by Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber is one of the biggest influences in music at this moment in time. And Justin Bieber was raised in a Christian home by a mum and a dad who dug a well of saying church is important. Christianity is the way to go. 
having a relationship with Jesus who loves and forgives you is the way to go. And yet they watched their son's life pan out all over media of how he went through, as Pastor Barry would say, a howler time. But by the grace of God, he's back in relation with relationship with Jesus. And he's one of the most fiery, passionate Christians of his generation. And he's using his platform and his position in the music industry to make a difference. On Easter Sunday, he brought out an EP, which is called Freedom, which has got six songs on it. And I say to you, go and listen to this, because this album is just preaching the gospel. In one of the songs at the end, he actually leads people into the salvation prayer. It's incredible. But this is a young man who went through a troubled time, but he's found his faith and his feet again in Jesus. Why? Because his mum dug a generational well. She introduced him to his best friend. And for a time, she thought it hadn't worked. But just look now at the influence that this young man is having and his heart for Jesus. So I want to encourage you with that this morning. We all have a responsibility for the generations. And we just got to keep sowing in and just keep pointing them the way to Jesus. He's the only one that will satisfy. He's the only one that forgives and sets us free. So let's keep redigging that generational well. The next well I want to look at is the faith well. Now there's something about a first-hand story, isn't there? You know, through um, going to school and college, I had to study the Second World War, as I expect most of you have had to study at some point through your school life. And I would read about the war in textbooks, and you would watch videos, and you would get stories from your teachers. But there's something about when you sit alongside somebody who actually served in the war, and you get their first-hand experience and their story of what it was like. And I used to love my conversations with Dan's nana. She served at Bletchley Park during the Second World War. She was part of the Code Breakers team. And I used to love listening to her stories because I'm so into spies and movies and all that sort of stuff. But to hear her first-hand experience of what it was like to be part of that Code Breakers team, the secrets they had to keep, the Morse code that they had to decipher, the letters that they would receive from Winston Churchill, the visits from people of influence and um, different people throughout the war that would have to come into the Bletchley Park and speak to them about what was going on in the war. And part of what she did won the war for us, it intercepted the codes to know where the Germans were going to drop the bombs. It was so exciting to hear that firsthand. And I could have read about that in a textbook and you get an idea, but when you see it through the eyes of somebody that actually was there, it brings it alive. And this is the same thing with our faith and with our stories of faith. When you one-to-one -one tell somebody about what Jesus has done in your life and your story of faith, when you speak to them about how you'd gone through a season that was really difficult, but because of your faith in God, he got you through and on the other side. When we share the testimonies of the miraculous provision that God has brought in our lives or the breakthroughs that we've seen in a family situation or when God has just been with us in our lowest moments or when we've decided that we're going to really go for something and we know that God has told us to step out and do something and when we step out he meets us right there that he opens doors for us to like see our dreams brought to life it's exciting and it's stirring because it's real and it shows people it's your story of faith nobody can take that away from you and I want to encourage you to redig that well of faith of sharing your testimony sharing your story because when you share a testimony you're saying God 
do it again. And that generation to generation, we can pass on these stories of the miraculous wonders of God in our everyday life, from perhaps the smallest thing to the most outrageous thing. We all have a story of where Jesus has met us, where we're at, and our faith has just grown and extended because of what he has done in our lives. If you look at Psalm 145, verses 4 to 6, I love what it says here. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. And there's something about when we share our faith and share our story and share our journey. And I have countless memories of stories through my own family of faith when people have had to step out, have had to trust God to write to the 11th hour and then breakthrough has come. And there's so many stories I could share with you today, but I want to share with you one from my grandma's generation. And as I've probably explained many times before, that in 1957, my grandma got the call of God on her life to build a church. She was a woman, and at that time it was unheard of to have a woman pastor in the town of Colchester. But she'd heard that voice of God asking her to build this church that would change a town and she went ahead and built the church and I used to love as a little girl listening to the stories of how her faith was stirred and how she had to trust God in order to build this church that would help a community and for many years she had this dream to have a church that would be fully paid for that would be a build purpose-built building in fact in the back of her garden in Colchester and that would serve the surrounding areas and she had a vision for that and she would always say I'm believing for a church that will be built that I will not owe any money on. Anyway my grandma would go about God's business on the local estate and some of the estate was quite a deprived area and she would go and minister to people, she'd go and bless families, she'd go and talk to people, she'd listen, she'd help them, she'd do all countless number of things for the local community and they got stirred up with the fact that she wanted to build this church. They were meeting in a small building at the end of a garden, a bit like a, a shed really, a glorified shed but she had a vision to have this brick built building that would serve a community. She had the vision for a well that would bring living water that would flow out into Colchester. And because people got behind this vision, and this is a story that sticks out so clearly in my mind, they would come and bring to her what they had financially in order to build the building. And what she would do is some people would come and bring money and they would, she would get the money. And for some people, all they had was literally a few pence. For others, it was more. But whenever they gave her money and said, this is for the church, Mrs. Catamol, she would put the money on her stairs and she would start to build up piles of money on the stairs. And every day she would pray, God, give us enough finance so that we can build the church. And my granddad and her put a lot of their own money into the church, but the local community put so much money into it. People would come out of the woodwork and say, you've blessed me, here's some money for the church. And over the years, the piles of money would get bigger and bigger on her stairs. And she would share the stories of how it got to the point where she had to go and put it in the bank because there was no room on the stairs because people had brought so much of their finances. And you know what? She got that building built. And they never owed a penny on it. It wasn't mortgaged. It was completely bought outright. 
And when she retired from the ministry, she left that building to the Salvation Army. And to this day, there's a church that runs in that building that she had a heart for, that a community got behind, that was a generational well that bring about blessing to this town. And to this day, there's so many people that I still bump into. There are people who are children and grandchildren of the people that put the money into that church. And they always have a story to say of how my grandma was a woman of faith and how she built that building, how she blessed their lives. You know, she dug a well. She dug a well that is still flowing today in this town. And I want to stir you up with that, that we have opportunities to dig wells that won't flow only today with that living water, but will flow from one generation to the next. And that's what we need to stir our faith up. What could you do? What well could you build when you're part of your family and of your church and your community that will flow for generations to come? I want to stir you up with that. I want to stir you up in your faith. Maybe you haven't seen all that you've been believing for yet, but have you got enough oomph within you this morning to stir up their faith again, to say, I want a story like that, but I want another story. I've had some stories of breakthrough, but I want another story of breakthrough. Are you prepared to share your testimony so that more faith stirs up within the people you're sharing it with and they get their own testimony to share some faith? Come on, there's so much we need to push forward in. There's so many wells that need to flow again in this time and this town. Come on, church, let's stir up some faith this morning. The third well I want to look at is the well of servanthood. We need to redig the well of servanthood. I think there's a bit of dirt that's got in the well of servanthood in our homes, in our jobs, in our church, and it's contaminated the water a bit. And I think one of the contaminations is, it's okay, someone else will do it. It's like that pile of clothes on the floor. If we walk past it long enough, someone else will pick it up. Usually mum in the household and put it in the linen bin. But maybe we've got a little bit like that with our serving. It's okay. They can do that. I'm getting on with my life. I'm busy. I've got that to look into. Somebody else can do it. But we need to say, I'm going to do it. I want to stir up the well of servanthood within me. Now, Jesus showed us how to serve. And he showed us this in John 13. He washes his disciples' feet. Just days before he would go to the cross for them, the servant king bent down, he got a towel and he got the water and he washed the dirt off the disciples' feet. And it became an almost awkward moment. So like, what are you doing, Jesus? But he was modeling something to us. And just after he's washed their feet, this is what he says in John 13, verses 12 to 17. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. He was modeling how we need to serve one another, how we need to help one another get the dirt of life off our feet, off ourselves, where the waters become contaminated to get it free flowing again, that we're there to serve each other, to live lives of saying, what can I do to help you? How can I step in? to your world, 
Where can I encourage you? Where can I bless you? Where can I challenge you? What can I do to serve you? In our church, where can I serve practically? What needs doing? Oh, someone else will do it. No, how about I'll do it? We can step up in our servanthood, in our homes, in our marriages, to be those husbands and wives that say, I'm here to serve you. And then when they reciprocate that, well, I'm here to serve you. There's then a beautiful picture of serving that erupts in our lives, that we're called to live laid down lives. And ultimately, I love what it says in verse 17. Now, you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I believe the blessing is, it's always better to give than to receive. You feel so much better when you've given someone your time or a gift or you've helped them. You feel good on the inside. But ultimately, when we serve in whatever capacity, in church, out of church, in our work situations, that we are doing that unto God that we are serving him. It's not about the boss or the pastor or the person, but it's about, God, I'm going to serve you. Because we've all been given gifts and talents. We've all been given something to do. Pastor Barry spoke about this on the 30th of May. Catch the sermon on YouTube. It was brilliant, all about servanthood and how God has gifted us to be able to serve. And I want to encourage you in your gifts and your talents again. God's given you that. He's given you that as an investment to invest it in your family, in your work, in your church, to use those gifts for his glory. He's expecting a return on your gifts. I want to share a story with you that I read about in a John Bevere book. And it was about um, this doctor, his full-time job. He was a doctor in a GP service, um, surgery. That's what I'm trying to say, a GP surgery. And he was in America and he was part of a church. He's a Christian. And one day it was a lead up to the church's annual conference. And the doctor happened to have this week off work and the conference was on the Saturday. So on one of the days he decided to head to the church because he wanted to help out. He got into the auditorium and he could see a big pile of leaflets that needed to go on each chair that would be used during the conference. And so he set about putting out the leaflets on the chairs. Anyway, the pastor of the church came over and he said, oh, he said, you don't need to do that. He said, we've got a team of people that are volunteering today and they're going to set up the whole auditorium for the conference. You know, that job is covered. And the doctor hurriedly kept putting the leaflets out. And he said to the pastor, oh, don't stop me. He said, this is my only week off of the year. This is my only time to serve God. I want to put the leaflets out. I need to serve God. The pastor was taken aback for a moment. And he just felt stirred by the Holy Spirit to speak to the pastor, uh, to speak to the doctor. And he said to the doctor, he said, you have 52 weeks of the year to serve God. Why is it when you have a week off work and your everyday commitment, that is only then you choose to serve God? Because every day you have an opportunity to serve God, whether you're working or not working, whether you're in school or not at school. Whatever you're doing on the day off, there's always an opportunity to serve God and to serve people. You don't need to have a week off of the norm to serve God. With that, the doctor suddenly felt really convicted. He suddenly felt like the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. He's like, yeah, you're right. I just thought I had to be away from what my norm was, my everyday thing. And only when I got a holiday could I serve God. And he went and turned his life around because he realized that every day is an opportunity to serve God. In whatever capacity of that day, that we all have an opportunity, 52 weeks of the year, to serve God in every way with what he's gifted us with and the practical things that we can do just to bless him and to bless people. I want to encourage you in your serving. 
we go back to the story of Isaac. Once he had re-dug the wells, he then set about digging new ones. He wanted to dig some new wells for his generation and the generation to come. He had the Jacob mentality. I will dig some wells as my father did for the next generation. So this is what he did in Genesis 26, verse 22. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. I love the fact that he chose to dig a new well, a new well that will provide clean drinking water, and he named it, it will flourish in this land. He chose to dig a new well. Spiritually, we need to choose to dig new wells as well. Whether you're a third or fourth generation Christian, or whether you're the only one in your family at the moment who has given their life to Jesus, you have an opportunity to dig a new well, to dig something, to say, I'm going to dig a well of salvation for my generation and the generations to come. I'm going to get about digging. And the digging is hard because you have to keep digging down. And sometimes you hit bricks and sometimes it's sweaty and it's hard work. But when you keep digging and you keep pushing forward, you know that you will see a breakthrough on the other side. We need to dig some new wells. And as I prepared this, I prayed and I just sought God on it. And I just really felt there were some wells that I need to speak to you that I think someone needs to redig. So, uh, sorry, somebody needs to dig for the first time. Somebody needs to make and establish a new well in your life for you and for your family and the generations to come. So I'm going to read them to you. Someone needs to dig a well of prayer. Someone needs to dig a well of holiness. Someone needs to dig a well of faith, a well of conviction, a well of community. There's a well of commitment that somebody needs to dig. There's a well of salvation. There's a well of freedom. You felt bound for so long, but God is saying, come on, it's time to dig your well of freedom and let the living water flow through that well for you and the generations to come. There's a well of obedience that needs to be dig, dug. There's someone here who says, I, I know God's calling me to do that, but I'm just not ready yet. But God is saying it's time to dig the well of obedience. And I know there's other wells that can be dug. I know there's other things that even now my prayer is the Holy Spirit would stir it up within you today. What well do I need to dig? Show me, Lord, I want to dig that well and I want it established so that somebody in the generations to come will talk about my story. Somebody will talk about the faith I had and will share it for generations to come. Come on, church. It's time to get digging. It's time to get your spade out and get digging, not for you, but for the generations to come. It takes effort. It costs. It's hard, but it's worth it. When we start to dig for generations, we start to help them. We start to show them the way. We train them up in the way they should go and it won't depart from them. It's hard and we have to keep pushing through. But on the other side, when we see salvation and we see them flowing in the calling of God on their lives, it was worth the dig. We need to dig for faith. We need to step out. 
We need to keep believing. We need to keep pushing forward. We need to keep trusting God at, at His Word. We need to keep believing in the promises, even when it gets hard, even when we have that 11th hour prayer. But we need to keep digging and pushing for that well of faith because then when the testimonies come, the digging was worth it. We need to dig for servanthood. We need to keep showing up and we need to keep serving. We need to keep modeling servanthood in our homes so that when we keep pushing through, it's monotonous and we keep showing how we serve one another well and how we serve God well and we keep pushing on with that. It's worth it when we see a generation and a group of people who are serving so well and are modeling servanthood. It is worth the dig. So I want to encourage you, it's time to get out your spiritual spade and it's time to get digging. In a year from now, what testimony could somebody have because you dug a well? Because you established a well of faith. What testimony could someone have? I came to Jesus because there's a well of faith that was dug. A well of salvation that was dug. What could your prayer life look like in a year's time if you choose to dig a well of prayer? So I hope this has stirred you up this morning that it's time to redig some wells and it's time to establish some new ones. I'd love to pray with you. Well, Father God, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for this message that you've put on my heart. And I pray, Lord God, that your church, that your people listening to this would take on board this message, that you would speak your truth through it, Lord God, that everything you want them to hear would just be stirring up within their spirits today. And they would know that it's time to redig some wells and it's time to establish some new ones. That you would stir up faith again in the hearts of your people. That you would stir up wells of prayer and of miracles and of salvation. That you'd stir your church again to know that we come from a great heritage, but there's so much more. There's so much more to come. And so I pray you'd stir your church this morning to be those that would choose to dig wells, not only for themselves, but for the generations to come. And that they will be part of the history of Colchester, of what is done in and through the lives of men and women that serve you and that have chosen to put you first and dig for your kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. And we always want to give opportunity that maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never gone on this journey of faith, of trusting in him. And if there's something you'd like to do, it's just simply by acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God and inviting him in to your life. So if that's you, I want to pray with you this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross in my place. Thank you that you've covered all my sin and all my shortfalls. Thank you, Lord, that I can choose to follow you and I accept your gift of love and forgiveness and I make a stand to follow you today and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you've invited Jesus into your life, that you have opened that well of salvation. Please let us know because we'd love to be on that journey with you. But thank you so much for listening to this message today. Have an amazing Sunday and I'll see you soon. Goodbye.